New Year to all who are celebrating, and thank you, Jim, so much for your prayer. Uh, I needed that. That was really meaningful and helpful. We appreciate your leadership and guidance in that. Uh, Lord, would you take the words of my mouth and the meditations uh, of our hearts and make them acceptable in your sight? Uh, You are our rock and our redeemer, and we need you more than ever. We always need you, and we always have you. So thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to start off uh, this morning asking you, what is the story that makes sense of your life? Just think about that for a second. What is the story that makes sense of your life? Uh, We all inhabit a story that provides a framework uh, out of which we interpret the things that are happening inside of us and the things that are happening around us in to the lives of the people that we know, the community beyond us. And it, you know, it doesn't matter if you if you try to say, well, actually, there's no real big grand story in the world, uh, you still end up living in a story. If you try to say there's there's no meaning to life, I, w- I was on a plane uh, a little while ago, and I spent three hours talking to this professor of um, philosophy of religion who was a staunch atheist, and we had the most incredible, I thought, conversation. And, uh, you know, his point was really that there is, there is no transcendent being, and that the question itself um, doesn't even make sense. And, and we had this long conversation, and it was amazing. Um, but the point is that even somebody like that can't escape. See, that then becomes the story in which you have it. We all inhabit a story. We all have a framework in which we try, because we're human beings, to make sense of the world around us. And this, this story identification project, it, 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 it operates at the highest level, the, the level of all of life, and then at the most granular level, sort of, what am I doing today? How, how does this work? And everything in between, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to make sense of what's happening around us according to to the larger story that we've embraced. And the passage that we're going to look at today, I'm so excited we're jumping back into 1 Corinthians, uh, is is Paul framing the story on the level of the community. So look around you here today. It's like this level of the church. And what Paul is doing is he is helping the community of the Corinthian church to locate themselves in space and time and in the world in relation to the grand story that God is writing. And this is really important work for him to do with them because what appears to be taking place in the city of Corinth with the church that is in Corinth in the time of the Apostle Paul is that they're beginning to adopt a different story than the story God has given them and that the apostles have been teaching. And that story that they're adopting is creating conflict within the community. And so what Paul is doing in this passage, he's going to call them back. He's going to remind them and tell them, maybe for some of them for the first time, about the real story, what's really happening. We'll we'll, we'll learn that the story they're adopting, buying into, is actually a story that comes from the culture that is present in the city of Corinth. 
And all of this sort of brings us to an interesting sort of philosophical point about Christianity, the Christian faith. One of the keys to the Christian faith is that we are, we are, we are embarking, when we embrace the Christian faith, we're embarking on a journey of learning how to align all that we are and all that we think and all that we do with the grand story that we have in the scripture. We, we've made this choice that this is, this is the story that, is, that seems most true, and now we're going to allow that story to override, to, cat, to press out all the other myriad stories that come pressing into us from the culture around us, the narratives that ca- would cause us to think differently about the world. And we make this decision in faith. Let's just acknowledge that reality. We make this decision, but it's not a blind faith. It's a faith that is reasoned. My my testimony, my journey is that at some point I concluded that the biblical story, the story of Christ made more sense of the world, the data that I have of what this world is like, the, the importance of relationships, the, 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 the presence of a spiritual realm, and on and on. The, the, the Christian story makes more sense out of all that than any other story I've encountered. And so then I take the step of faith, a reasoned faith, to say, I conclude that this is the truth of the world in which we live. And the journey of faith is sort of taking that story and and this is where it gets interesting on a, a daily basis and with the particular circumstances and challenges that we face, the relationships we have, the personality we have, it's this daily journey of learning how to align our thoughts and our relationships and the way that we think about uh, and the way that we move through the world with that grand story. And that's really what the Apostle Paul is doing here in this section in 1 Corinthians. He is helping the Corinthian church to understand who they are in that moment in relation to the grand story that God is writing across history. And the beautiful thing, the reason that we have this is because God wants to help us to do the same, to understand collectively at the community level who we are and what God is doing in our midst. And so uh, let's jump in to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. It's already been read for us. I want to do a little bit of review. We're returning to 1 Corinthians after uh, a break for Christmas and the new year. And so let me refresh your memory of what we've been studying. Our series in 1 Corinthians is entitled Healthy Body. Paul is circling around the theme of the body to address several different concerns within the church. He's going to talk about the church as the body of Christ. So all the different people in the church are the different parts of the body, but it's all one body. Such a beautiful, powerful image. Can't wait till we get to that. He's gonna talk about our physical bodies, especially as relates to sexual ethics and marriage, and then what we put into our bodies. He's gonna talk about the sacrificed body of Christ and honoring it in the Lord's table, which we celebrate every Sunday in our community of faith. And then he's gonna talk, and this is gonna, I can't wait to get to this part either, He's going to talk about our resurrected bodies and what all that means for life now in the future. When 
we were first starting off this series, I did a little, a little search. You know, I got these computer programs so I can search words. So I searched the word body, and in the, the, the course of the Bible, it goes like, okay, it's this much. And then on the graph, it goes whoop, way up here, and then back down again. It goes like this, and, and that's 1 Corinthians. So Paul is circling in. He's using the concept, the metaphor of the body to uh, help us to understand God's larger story in a number of different ways. Now, the immediate problem that Paul's addressing in this passage um, that we're looking at today is that the church body in Corinth has bought into a particular kind of worldly thinking, a, a, culture, a cultural story, right? A, cult, a story that doesn't come from the scripture, but it comes from the world and is shaping the way they're interpreting their circumstances. And it's sort of wreaking havoc in the community. It's causing the church to be less than what it could be, less than what God's intentions are for the community of faith. So quick history of the church in Corinth. Paul founded it and then other leaders came along and uh, they built on the work Paul had done. In particular, he names Apollos and Cephas. Cephas is another word for Peter, the very famous apostle Peter. And so both Apollos and Peter had contributed to the building of the church in Corinth. Uh, but over time, it seems that there were different groups in the church in Corinth um, they, and they started started aligning themselves with one or another of the leaders that had contributed to the upbuilding of the church. So some were saying, I'm of Paul. Some were saying, I'm of Apollos. Some were saying, I'm of Peter. And this was creating a kind of a factionalism, right? Different groups that were at each other, and that was causing conflict in the church. And the problem is, is that they were looking at the church through a narrative lens that was more derived from the culture around them, from the city of Corinth. It was very common in the city of Corinth. There were deities, there were idols, there were statues of gods all over the place. And people would associate themselves with one or another of these deities and then view themselves over and against those who associated themselves with a different deity. And it seems that that way of thinking has has made its way into the church and it was causing conflict and difficulty in the church there in uh, Corinth. So Paul's going to reset the narrative. He's going to do he's going to do this in two ways. First of all, this is an interesting move that he makes. He's going to talk about himself and leadership in general in the church because they're attaching themselves to different leaders, which which means they don't understand a fundamental point about the story of the church. And so he's going to reset that narrative for them. And then he's going to talk to them about their own story within the context of the church. And so that's how we're going to look at it this morning. We're going to do these two things. So um, the first point that he makes is this. Jesus builds his church according to his plan. Jesus builds his church according to his plan. This is where Paul's resetting the narrative about the way the Corinthian church came into existence. He says a number of, of important things here right at the outset. He says, basically, I laid a good foundation. Now, this is really interesting to me. Paul says to them, I lay, he says, I, meaning Paul, laid a good foundation uh, for the church. The only foundation, which is Christ. I laid the foundation of Christ, he says. Now, I find Paul's confidence in the way that he says this noteworthy. And we can do a little side note on here. He says, like a, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. This is what he tells the church. Now, uh, for some of us, we would never say something like that. Because we wouldn't want to come off as arrogant or prideful. 
But Paul feels freedom to go ahead and say what he perceives to be the truth. This is what he understands to be the true story. Uh, and you see this confidence uh, elsewhere in Paul's writings. And you see it in Jesus as well. And sometimes, this is the point, this is like a little side point that we get just in seeing how, how Paul functions. Sometimes you have to tell the story of your life, even if it's something that reflects well on you. And sometimes we just never ever want to say anything that reflects well on us because we feel like we perceived as pride. Sometimes you have to just tell the story of your life like Paul is doing here um, because the information is important to your listeners. But here's the thing, Paul's next move really undercuts any potential for there to be pride around it. He says, but it was only by God's grace that, he, that I laid the foundation. It was only, so we can say things that might reflect well upon us, but one of the moves that Paul teaches us here in the same breath, acknowledge that it's only by God's grace that it has happened so. What a beautiful lesson for life, right? Um, the difference between pride is, is, and confidence is thinking that I did it in my own strength and it's because of me. Whereas Paul says, I did the right thing, but it's because of God and his grace. So he says, I laid a good foundation, but it was only by God's grace. And I don't have ownership over this work. I love that Paul says this. The Corinthian church is the work he's talking about. Uh, because Apollos and Cephas have contributed to it as well. They came along after I laid the foundation and they've done great work. Um, uh, and actually, uh, he wants to remind them that in any case, it wasn't me, Paul. It wasn't Apollos or Cephas who's building the church to begin with. Remember, we just put a little side note. Jesus says in the Gospels, I will build my church. It's Jesus who builds the church. And he works through one and he works through another and he brings them all together and he's superintending the whole process. Paul and Apollos and, and Peter, they're just, they're just builders, but they're not the architect. They're not the master of it all. Skills, Paul says, I'm a skilled master builder in my job, but I'm just doing my job. I'm just a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's such a powerful truth. Um, this is how Paul avoids the pitfall that so many leaders um, who feel like who they fall in, who, who feel like if someone else adds to what they're doing, it actually diminishes them. You, maybe you've experienced this in the workplace or maybe you've experienced this in your family or maybe you've experienced it in the church. Um, Paul avoids that pitfall, that actually Christ is the one building the church and we all get to pile on and contribute our different pieces and that's what makes it so beautiful. That's what makes it so wonderful that God is superintending. And then finally, Paul says about himself, all leaders, and this, this is the last, this is the part that sort of, I had to do business with the Lord uh, when I was reading this passage because it's a bit terrifying for those who are in leadership in the church. He says, all leaders, leaders including myself, Paul says, are accountable to God for their work. And, and look at how he articulates that accountability. Um, it'd be, be, basically, it'd be like this. Imagine if your boss approached a work, pro, per, work project with you, said, I want you to do this project, and uh, you better do a really good job, uh, and if you don't do a good job, I'm gonna burn it up in the fire, and don't worry, I won't burn you. 
This is essentially what Paul receives as his commission. He says, he says uh, in the passage, according to God's grace, blah, 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 uh, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than Christ. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. There is a day that's coming that will reveal the work. And so, so Paul's saying, look, this is, this is my, as a leader in the church, this is my accountability. That one day there will be a fire. And anything that I've built with straw will go up like that. But anything built with gold and silver will last This is actually going to be true, not just for leaders in the church. This sort of sense of the sacredness of the church in verses 16 and 17 is then there for everybody. Uh, but this is the reality. This is the narrative. This is what explains uh, that Paul, as he's been talking about in the first three chapters so far, sometimes he does things that seem like foolishness to the world. Because ultimately he dances to the beat of a different Music. His accountability structure is to the Lord. He needs to be faithful to the Lord in all that he does. And that means that what he does as a leader in the church will sometimes seem like foolishness to the world. And those who are in the congregation of the church who have adopted the worldly ways of thinking will experience what he does as foolishness. Because he, has a, he dances to a different beat. He answers to a higher calling. And so, you know, in verse 18, we sort of have this articulated. Let no one uh, deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Here's the point. All who lead God's church have to be willing to appear foolish to the world. All who lead God's church have to be willing at times to appear foolish to the world. That's what it means to understand the God story that's being written across the church. So, so here's the point of this narrative reset about Paul, that there's only one person building his church, and that's Jesus Christ. If the people leading the church indicates are laying a good foundation, that they're working together, and they're remembering their accountability, that there's going to be a day when it's all, everything that's, you know, useless is going to go up in smoke, uh, and they're submitting to Jesus as the builder, then despite their flaws and failures, you can trust that the Lord is over it. And as we approach the work of the church, we approach, as we approach leadership in the church, we approach it with that sensibility. And if the leaders of the church do things that sometimes seem out of alignment with the world around them, that seem like foolishness to the world, that's probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing. If that's never happening, you might want to be concerned. Okay? So that's Paul's resetting. But then he's going to take this to the, to the community of the church. He first frames his story, and now he will frame theirs. And I love what he does here. Um, he says, you are the holy presence of God, so embrace your calling. You, church, the community of faith, are the holy presence of God, so embrace your calling. Verse 16, 
Do you not know that you, and that word is plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Woo. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. See, they've been messing around trying to validate themselves over and against each other within the church community by aligning with one particular human leader or another particular human leader. And Paul's saying, look, you're missing the bigger point. You are God's absurdly wonderful plan for his taking up residence in a fallen and broken world. You are nothing less than that. Here you are messing around with less than, and God is saying, you are the temple in which I dwell in a fallen, broken world. Um, uh, You know, uh, they're missing the bigger point. And every time that we adopt worldly ways of thinking, we end up missing the bigger point. Now, you can see how this this happens you know, with the Corinthians, they just thought that they were doing the normal thing. You pick a leader, you know, you choose up sides. This is the way it always works in the world, right? And you brace yourself against the other people and it becomes kind of a competition and you feel good about yourself because you're aligned with this particular person. That's just the way we do life, right? This is how it goes. There's so many things like that that creep into the church context where we just, we just accept that that's how life is. Paul's saying, guys, there is a better story that's waiting for you to embrace it and to live in it. The factionalism of the Corinthian church, which they had held because they adopted these worldly ways of thinking, ultimately, this is what was happening as a result of it. It was was, uh, literally impacting the very presence of God in the world. If the church is the temple... And the the meaning of temple is the presence of God in the world. If they're diminishing God's church, if they're diminishing the temple, then they're diminishing God's presence of the world, in the world, in that particular way. Now, God is sovereign, and so he he always makes up for wherever our sins are in another way, right? He's, He's sovereign over all things, but they were missing this blessing. And we need to remember that there's an unlimited number of ways That we can allow the narratives of the world to enter into and to begin to obscure the story that God is writing through us. And every time we do that, here's the thing, what Paul's saying. Every time we do that, we diminish the presence, the glorious and wonderful presence of God in a fallen, broken world. Where there's so much need. Where where the need for God is, is just, you know, excruciatingly, powerfully deep. And we diminish that when we adopt worldly ways of thinking. So here's the lesson. Don't be surprised to discover from time to time that you or maybe we collectively have adopted worldly ways of thinking and that these ways of thinking need to be shed in order for us to become who the Lord fully intends us to be. That happens on the individual level and it happens, you know, on the collective plane. And what we should also note about that is that sometimes the process of shedding those worldly ways of thinking is painful. Sometimes that process of shedding those worldly ways, because it means we're going to have to give up things that we had previously been going to for our own benefit. See, the, the, the Corinthians thought that by aligning themselves with one particular leader, it was going to make them feel better about themselves, going to make them feel good about themselves. And they had to let go of that in order to shed 
this worldly way of thinking. But we do this because, as Paul says in here, the church is holy. You are that church. And so embrace the fullness of your calling. And that leads us into the last point, which is you have everything, so you don't need to fight for more. You have everything, church, so you don't need to fight for more, okay? Remember, they're trying to validate themselves by aligning themselves with whomever they believe was the right guy. And it was as if they were, they felt they weren't enough already. See, that was the problem. And this is so oftentimes the problem. We are not satisfied with what God has given, or we don't see what God has already given us. And so we reach out for more in ungodly ways and unhealthy ways. And this is what was happening with the Corinthian church, and it's what happens with us. But Paul reminds them that they are living a better story, verses 21 through 23. So let no one boast in men. Stop trying to validate yourself by attaching yourself to one particular leader or another. Because all things are yours. You already have all those leaders. They're given to you by Jesus Christ who loves you and has just given them as your servants. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. Oh my goodness. So it's not just leaders that you already have. It's actually the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours already. Now just, just let that land for a second. If all that is already yours, how free are you? To live in confidence. How free are you from trying to chase and and, and, and somehow manage to secure your own worth and validation by attaching yourself to one person or another or whatever means we might use to accomplish that work. How free are you if all is yours? In verse 23, and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is sweepingly comprehensive. He just sort of takes it. It's like he's telling them the story of the church. And he says, well, let me just frame this back in the larger story of everything and who you are. You've already got it all. You don't need to fight for more. You've already got it all. You've got it. You, you already have all the leaders of any church anywhere to serve and bless you. You already have the world, the new heaven, the new earth. That's yours already. You have life forever. You have victory over death. And you have eternity. It's all yours. So relax about that. And just remember your calling. You are the presence of God in the world. You are the body of Christ. You are the holy temple. You don't, have to, you don't have to protect and guard yourself. You already got it all. You can live fully into the mission that God has given you, which is to go out into the world with this beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and share it freely without fear of consequences because you already have everything and it can't be taken away. It's all yours already. We used to take the kids to Tahoe every Easter Sunday. This is our thing. We would get in the car and somebody would get, gave us a cabin and we would drive up to Tahoe and uh, inevitably this is what would happen on the way. 
is that the kids, you know, somebody would cross over. It's like a three-hour drive, right, the way we did it, uh, and it, with little kids. And the, uh, somebody would cross over the demilitarized zone that the kids always created in the car seats, right? Like, this is my space, and this is your space. And World War III would break out on the way to Tahoe. And uh, it didn't matter how big the car was, like we would buy subsequent cars and get larger every time. It didn't matter how much space they had, they would spread out. There would all, World War III would always break out on the way to Tahoe. And I remember thinking to myself, I would just want to say to them, and I would say it, but you know how we are when we're kids, we don't hear it, and actually, as adults, we often don't hear it. I would want to say to them, look, guys, um, don't you know that we're going to Tahoe and we're going to look at all the beauty when we get to the mountains and the snow is going to be everywhere. It's going to be so gorgeous. And we're going to get to this cabin and we're going to get out and we're going to play in the snow. And then we're going to build a fort. And then we're going to have a snowball fight. And then we're going to go sledding in the snow and it's going to be amazing. And then one day we're going we're gonna to go rent skis and we're going to go skiing on the mountain. And then, you know, at the end of every day when we're tired and we're exhausted and we're so hungry, we're going to go back to that warm cabin and we're going to make a meal, a feast. And we're going to sit down at the table and we're going to enjoy it together. And it's going to be awesome. And we're going to build a fire in the little potbelly stove. And then we're going to get up from the table and go over to the potbelly fire. And we're going to play a game together. And it's going to be warm. And then when we're tired, we're going to crawl into our warm beds and mom and dad are going to read you your favorite stories and you're going to snuggle up and we're going to laugh and talk and then we'll pray together and you're going to nod off sleeping in that bed and you know you're going to have dreams about snowballs and you're going to have dreams about forts and then guess what you're going to wake up the next morning and we're going to do the same thing all over again. See, that's the story that you're actually living in, kids. But then all they could see was this story that I'm on this three-hour drive, and it seems like forever, and I got to get what's mine right now, right? This is what Paul is doing. He's saying, look, pick up your sights, church. Look at the big story that God is writing across you and how glorious and how wonderful and how eternal and how everything is already yours. And let that make you free to give and love and serve and embrace the call that God has on your life. You know, and kids mostly didn't get it when I would tell them that. And we don't get it either. But that's what we're working on together as a church. We're trying to embrace that story in all of its beauty and wonder and splendor and live into it every day with everything that we have. That's God's mission and calling. That's God's love for us. So God, we thank you that you love us so much, that you've written the best story. You invented storytelling to begin with, and then you wrote the best story possible, and then you made us characters in your story. You gave, you gave us a place. It's incredible. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive us 
for when we try to live in lesser stories and call us forward to live deeply into the great, grand, and true story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is the temple. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.